0: the bad man know say what bad say what the bad man say what say what say
1: what say what
0: welcome to know your roles
1: the entertainment culture and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media
0: we talk film television music literature sports food and more
1: and we do it all sitting down with very interesting people
0: i'm one of your hosts dave kleinman
1: and i'm another guy george gordon george what do
0: we got up on deck for today's show
1: David, we have in store this week is podcaster, ESPN, college basketball analyst, and stand-up comedian all around good dude, Noah Savage. And we're talking about NBA players and Oscar winners. But before we get into all that, how are you doing?
0: Oh George, I'm uh I'm surviving, which uh I'll say that that's uh that's my bar now <laughs> is uh is surviving and I, I've i I've survived uh some very weird run-ins uh this week, uh, well, behind the bar, I, I'm not going to get into them here, but we can talk about them later. <laughs> I already texted you about one of them. And I've also uh, just barely survived the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, survive in advance. Like I was telling you earlier, my futures are still alive. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not doing so bad. Cool. <laughs> How about you, George? What's going on with you, man?
1: I'm good. Uh had a very, very boozy, boozy weekend. I had some people over. No drugs were involved, but yet we stay up till seven o'clock in the morning listening to records. One thing that sticks about daylight saving time is if you stay up late, the sun is out. Yeah. It's like real out. And you're like, oh shit, we need to get out of here. So uh, my voice is a knock lower, but smoke a lot of cigarettes, do a lot of drinking. I'm gonna take the night off. Maybe tomorrow night off too, but that's kind of where I'm at. Staying up late. Not fun. <laughs> it's fun in the moment, but not fun the next day.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, fun is, uh, yeah, it's fluid, right?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly.
0: All right. What do you say we uh, we go to the bar for some bar talk, George?
1: Absolutely. Today on tap, we're going to be talking about F1, the first race this past weekend, uh, the F1 series, which you just finished. I am currently finishing. Looking forward to talking about that. Second thing I'm going to talk about Severance, a show that you you and Hillary have been watching. Uh, I have some beef with apples, so I'm not watching the apple shows. We'll get into that in a second. And finally, bartender's choice. I know I've got an idea what you can get into, but I'm going to let you have that. So let's do it. Let's start about F1. You watched the race this past week in your very first race. What did you think?
0: It was awesome. Like you just said, it was the very first time I have watched a live race. And, you know, if you would have told me a couple of years ago, like before I I started watching uh, Drive to Survive, the, the Netflix show, that I would be watching like car races and enjoying them i would have said you were full of shit but uh it's so fascinating man mm-hmm. drive to survive really gives you an idea of how how crazy the world is the exclusivity of these people and these groups this is like the one percent and the fucking machinations that are going on and all the politics it's like somebody laughed at me when i said this this last week but uh i do believe it <laughs> that it's like shakespearean level drama but anyway the race itself was fucking thrilling especially for being a race that there wasn't a ton of movement as far as like the positions and to where they finished. Mm -hmm. But it was great. And it was great for me because I I was telling you before we recorded, I bet on Lewis Hamilton to finish on the podium. And he was in fifth place and two cars ahead of him had engine failure in the last two laps. And I won and he won. He got third. Uh, So that was awesome. And Lewis Hamilton's also maybe the only one of the only drivers that like i personally feel good about rooting for because all the rest of them not all of them but almost all of them Mm -hmm. not uh not people i want to root for but uh george what do you your so your couple episodes uh a few
1: episodes left the uh my favorite thing about the show is uh, i look at it as like a sports show but also as a travel show as well so when they go to these races whether it's in singapore or Monaco, or Bahrain, you get to see that country. and You're like, oh my God. That's the, the appeal for, for people who aren't race fans. It's like, look at the, all the stuff that they're showing you. And they show like some where some of these guys live, whether it's like a uh, Christian partner, like English countryside with his, uh, what, what, what band was she in? his wife
0: spice girls Spice girls yes like one of the biggest bands in history
1: yeah they're like riding horses on their like english countryside or it's insane they go to my man's house in spain and he's like it's got the spanish villa and like this table with all his family like they're drinking wine no i and I, I i thoroughly enjoy it for that reason so uh and i like the fact that's got some good villains for staff and as a total villain he's one of my least favorite like really.
0: horner as well yeah
1: horner's kind of a villain too yeah. yeah totally i think toto's kind of a villain but like uh Let's Think of maybe because he sounds like Schwarzenegger. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he he is kind of a villain, but he's like the yeah. more like the more likable one.
1: He's the likable of the. He's like he's the, he's the anti-hero. He's not the complete bad guy, but I, yeah. I do root for Toto because he's uh yeah. he's the principal for uh, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and I love Lewis Hamilton. Even though my 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 favorite driver uh, drives for uh, McLaren, it's no, it's it's a great show. So,
0: wait, 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 Lando or D-
1: or Daniel Ricciardo. I, I love me some Lando. Love me, Lando.
0: Okay. I was hoping you were gonna say Daniel Ricardo, although I've come around on him a little bit. Shout out to my regulars, uh, uh, Danielle and Summer, who kind of got me in or who some of the people that have that highly recommended the show and, and F1. And they they love Daniel Ricardo and I, I'm like not a fan of his, but I, he's growing on me.
1: He's growing on me. Yeah, the uh the, the show was built around him in the first season and he became like a star. So that's the reason why you see the other guys. You see more of them like seasons two, three, and four, is because uh, it's like Daniel got on there and they're like, "Oh no, this guy's a big deal." So, <clears throat>
0: and and since the show started, he hasn't won jack shit. So, like, that's also He's like probably
1: the most popular person on the show because he is very yeah. funny and he looks. And it seems like somebody you want to hang out with.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's move on. What's uh, what's next?
1: Uh, up next is Severance, a show you've been watching uh, that I have been watching, but more on that later. Dave, give us your severance takes.
0: Well, I will say I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. It's one of the most interesting and exciting things I've seen in a long time because we're six episodes in and there are so many questions from, episode one, basically. And the great thing is I think those questions are going to have answers. And I'm hoping that it is going to be satisfying. The aesthetic of it is super cool. The cast is amazing. Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, John Turturro, Christopher Walken. And then there's some like lesser known actors that are doing incredible work. There's this woman, her name is Britt Lower and she is killing it. She's doing an awesome job. She plays a character named Helly. And also the guy who's kind of like the comic relief, his name is Zach Cherry. He's like a face that we've. I feel like I've seen like a lot in the last few years. He like pops up and stuff. And he is awesome. He's doing a great job. And also shout out to uh, New York actor Michael Chernis, who is also killing it as the brother-in-law Rickin And it, it's, it's really interesting. So just we'll move on. But uh, just as a very very quick primer for the show it's basically adam scott plays a character that works for this company called lumen that they're doing this highly sensitive research and like development we don't really know what they do and it's very mysterious but to work there the employees undergo a procedure called severance where they have all of their memories from their normal life to their work life completely erased when they're in the different scenarios so like once they walk into work they have no memory of their outside life at all and it's really fucking fascinating awesome concept and it's ben stiller created it really really well put together he builds tension really well and yeah it's awesome man severance best uh best thing i've seen in in, in a while on tv um, george tell i i really want you to watch it because i think you're gonna like it but but i do think it's funny why you're not watching it so why don't why don't you tell us why you're not
1: no, I just have beef with Apple. It's not compatible with my Fire Stick, and I'm just sort of like, I'm not going to buy another one of these things and to watch the show. Plus, I don't watch things on my computer. That's not how I enjoy it. I have like a 50-something-inch television. I'm not watching things on my computer. So, and I've been wanting to get Apple and watch shows on Apple because I want to watch the morning show because the hair is awesomely bad. And I'm like, I want to hate watch the morning show, but I can't because I'm that petty. So, I'm, I will not be watching anything on Apple.
0: Let me just say this real quick. Not that I am a fucking, I'm going to stump for Apple. I'm not going to do that. They can go fuck themselves. But but uh, I think your beef is with Amazon, dude. Your beef is with fucking Amazon because they're the ones who made it not compatible. If you have Apple TV, you can get Amazon uh, Prime on your fucking Apple TV, but they don't give you Apple TV Plus on Amazon. So like your beef uh, is with fucking Bezos and fucking does, Amazon. It-
1: if it if it if it's, with- if it's, if it's got to be harder to, to do in the way everything else I have done, then it's just not worth it for me. So I'm just not even fucking. Fair, fair <laughs> I,
0: I I respect that. I respect the the minimal effort. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, just it's, 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 Hulu and Netflix and everything else, they do it the exact same way. But these fuckheads, have to be all confusing, and I'm just not gonna fuck with it. So yeah,
0: well, I I also agree with you. Fuck Apple. They do a lot of proprietary bullshit and. Uh, yeah, it's fucking evil. It's fucking garbage, heinous bullshit. So right. Anyway, moving on. The last thing is bartender's choice, right? Okay. So, and it's uh, me this week. I want to talk movies with you for a sec because I sent you this thing the other day, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna read them all here, but I'm gonna go through a few. And it's from IndieWire, which is a cool, really cool uh, film and TV entertainment publication. And this is 41 great films that failed at the box office. There's a lot of films on this list that like both you and I have over the years been like, that's a great fucking film. And they didn't do well in the box office. Uh, So I'm just going to read a few of them. This is one that everybody knows, but that everyone knows it was kind of a flop and became a huge cult cult following. I feel like it's the poster child for that, but it's the big Lebowski Shawshank redemption, wet, hot American summer blowout. Brian De Palma's blowout office space idiocracy the hudsucker proxy king of comedy which i think is honestly my favorite scorsese movie maybe his best fucking movie uh one of your favorite movies scott pilgrim versus the world mm-hmm. some of the movies i like i haven't seen and i'm like i don't think that's good like uh, kingdom of heaven that that ridley scott movie with uh,
1: orlando bloom yeah, that movie's stuck.
0: Yeah, I, I can't believe that that's good. Destroyer, which is a movie that I talk about all the time. I've mentioned it on this show multiple times. I was super happy to see this on, on the list. Uh, Annihilation, which I'm actually, I'm going to mention that in the, the director, Alex Garland, a little bit later. I also think that movie is underrated. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I love that movie. Me too. Children of Men. That's a fucking phenomenal movie. I love that movie. That was the best movie that came out that year. Here's one that I don't like, I haven't seen, and I would have a hard time believing that it's good uh, Cloud Atlas. <laughs> but some people say it's good. The Fountain, The Master. Crazy that some of these movies did not do well at the box office because some of them are like so good. Uh, Mulholland Drive, Only Lovers Left Alive, the Jarmusch film. I think that film is amazing. Uh, Pop Star, Never Stop Stopping. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that movie's hysterical. I agree with that as well. That's all I'm going to read. But it's a really cool article. George, what are your, what are your thoughts on that or some movies that, that uh, you know weren't successful but you really like or, or vice versa?
1: Well, you, I mean, you said Shawshank. Uh, Shawshank got the second life because it was always on TNT for some reason. Like I felt like every week it was on TNT. So I've seen it. I probably only seen it beginning, middle, and maybe like four times. But I've seen portions of it hundreds of times because again, it's always on TV. That's a fun watch, um, uh, and that was a bit, that was probably the best movie that came out that year. But it just kind of got buried because it didn't make any money. Did you say Fight Club? Fight Club was on that list too, right? Fight Club's on that list, but I didn't mention it. But yeah, uh, I like Fight Club. I watched it recently. It's, uh, it's there's some there's some things that I thought was pretty good, and then uh, the Big Lebowski with my guy uh, Phil Simmer Hoffman. So. And Those are movies I can watch whenever it could be like that for the last 10 minutes of the big Lebowski. I'm watching it. Uh, we're in the finals, dude. Uh, just yeah, no, it's
0: Brant can't watch though, or he has to pay a thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I wish yeah. I could do the Philip yeah. Seymour,
0: uh, awkward laugh.
1: <laughs> Tara Reed, we thought Tara Reed was going to be somebody.
0: Her best, that's her best role,
1: maybe. It may be.
0: I mean, it's either that or Sharknado. So,
1: oh. That's a tough call,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, uh, any other movies that you're that you? uh...
1: Well, to to bring it back, uh, a movie that I love that nobody saw, and uh, it is the reason why uh, Ben Stiller and Precious Arquette are like really good pals, and why she was in Escape from Denimore*, and they've been friends for years, is uh, the movie that I love from the '90s called Forting with Disaster*. It's a David O. Russell film. Uh, I still love that movie; so good, and uh, so. And then nobody saw that movie except for us and like maybe five other people.
0: <laughs> and then and like critics and stuff. And it launched David O. Russell's career, who of course mm. went on to do Three Kings and uh mm. Silver linings Playbook and all these bigger big movies.
1: American Hustle, Joy. Yeah, no, pretty disaster rules. So fucking funny.
0: Totally. Uh Richard Jenkins yeah. kills it yeah. in that
1: movie. Richard Jenkins and uh uh what's his face? They play like they play a gay couple. Josh Brolin. Yeah, it's like there's a ton of people in this movie. We Alan Alda, Ray Taylor Moore, uh, George Segal, um, uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, Taylor, and We already mentioned her.
0: Cool, man. Yeah, the, that's a. I had I had a really good time uh, reading that list and and thinking about it. Um, I feel that way a lot of like some of the movies that like didn't do well. There's a lot of value to them, you know. They need cool. a they need a second watch. They need a they need a viewing at home when you can actually dive in and think about it.
1: Um, yeah, turn your phone off.
0: Exactly. All right. I think uh I think that, that'll do us for bar talk. What do you say,
1: George? Yeah, I think we're all tapped out. Let's go talk to Noah. First off, let me start off with giving you my condolences. Princeton basketball took a massive hit this week with the guys losing to losing to Yale in the final, which is an amazing game. And the ladies losing last night to Indiana by like two.
2: Yeah, and the the game last night, they had, they had a chance uh, with the ball, you know, down two with like 30 seconds left to go and they turned it over. But uh, yeah, man, the Ivy League tournament was a little rough for the Princeton fans, but, um, you know, a lot of controversy, a lot of stress. I covered the whole event and I feel like every coach was like the most, like more stress than other leagues because they hadn't played last year. So it was like two years of expectations, everything rolled into one year. So it was literally, like, not – like, honestly, it wasn't that fun. Like, it was fun to be there, like – but I just felt the stress from every coach and um, somewhat the players, but, like, mainly the coaches were all just, like, freaking very tightly wound. So it was it was fun. I, and I don't know why it felt more high stakes than other tournaments that were going on at the same time, but that's how it felt to me.
0: When I feel like the Ivy – that those some of those smaller conferences those tournaments are are more tense because you know you're fighting for the one bid basically
2: right exactly and also um with the Ivy in particular, you play back to back and if you're the number one seed, you play the four seed, but other than that, you don't get a home court, you don't get a buy you you basically have to do it again like it's like you did you did this thing that that took three months. And then you got to go do it again but you know if you're yale you're happy because you go look like i played on a team that finished second and we beat the team that won the last game of the year because we played penn and then we had had a, a bad pre-conference so we didn't go to the nit or anything so we just were like okay we beat the champion and now like we're done and it was very strange yeah. you know like <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah it is it can be very unforgiving i went to uh i went to boston university and like similar situation as far as like a real small conference america east and you're basically yep. only going to get into the tournament if you win the conference tournament and so many pretty much every year i was there we would be like we'd we be almost undefeated or like one or two losses in a regular season and then yeah. vermont would beat us in the fucking tournament and uh in the, yeah. in the conference tournament and then we wouldn't go to the NCAA. play
2: heartbreaking yeah man it's uh i see it both ways i've been i never i never won the league like in the regular season but um I don't know. I guess it's like more champions, right? Princeton won a championship. Yale won a championship. Like, you know, I don't know. That's uh, it's tough. It's it's uh, I just know I was exhausted after a two day event where I did three games and I never feel that way after being on TV, but I was like, I was like, man, I don't know. That felt so stressful. Like it just, that's the word I would use.
0: <laughs> and how long have you been doing uh, the commentary for Princeton since college or you kind of took some years off first?
2: No, I played a year overseas. And then um, when I came back, there was a guy named John Sadak who was just doing radio. And I went to a game at Marist and I was like, who does color? And he's like, nobody does the road. So I was like, all right, I'll do the road if you want. And he's like, sure. And I started doing it that year. And then the next year they're like, do all the games, do home and away. And then eventually that became Ivy League Digital Network, which became ESPN plus. So then the home games were basically internet TV. But that guy started with John Sadak is now the voice of the Cincinnati Reds. He's, he's an incredible pro. Um, So he kind of taught me how to, how to do it at the beginning. And then my, my wife's father um, is a broadcaster and her grandfather is a hall of fame broadcaster named Bob Wolf. So, so Rick Wolf, the son, he watches every game and texts me like 15 times for the game (laughs) and coaching me now. So that's helped a lot. And I've, I've been with ESPN now four years. So, You know, it took me nine years to get an audition and I finally got one. And, you know, now I'm now doing like my 15, you know, 16 games a year with them, too. So it's been awesome.
0: That's awesome. And you just uh, you called an NIT game, right? Was that your first uh, NIT game?
2: Yeah, I actually called two of them. So I called Princeton VCU. And then so I got the I got done on Sunday with the Ivy League tournament. And I'm like, all right, that's probably the end for me. And I took the Amtrak home had a couple of beers. I was like, man, I'm actually exhausted. Like I've never felt that way doing games. And then I got a call at 10 PM and they were like, you want to fly down and do VCU? And I was like, for sure. So I do that game and I fly back and I'm like, all right, I'm really done now. And they're like, you want to fly to uh, wake forest? And I'm like, yep. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of games. And you know, the NIT was really fun. And when I did wake forest, you know, the coach spent the whole interview telling us why he shouldn't be in the NIT and why he should be in, in the, in the tournament. But when I looked at his his resume, I was like, "This is crazy that he's not in a tournament team." He had thirteen wins in the ACC, and now that the ACC is like, you know, three teams in, in the Sweet Sixteen, you go. Everything mm-hmm. he said was right. You know, Wake Forest could be a Sweet Sixteen team. We don't know, so that was fun. But you you sit far away at Wake Forest for some reason, so that was strange.
1: I feel like there was a lot of that going on to yeah. uh, the coach at Virginia Tech. He did like a nine minute interview in which he talked about why, not Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, Texas Tech. Like a nine minute interview, why they should have made it. And odd enough, I was one of the ones that thought he should have replaced in Michigan, but the SEC Texas A&M. Texas AM. Texas A&M, A&M. I'm sorry, Buzz. Uh, Buzz, yeah. Williams.
2: Well, those guys are friends, by the way. Oh, are they Steve Forbes and Buzz Williams? So they basically, and he was like, I'm not gonna do what Buzz did, and then he like kind of did. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying, it reminded me of something where it's like, if you ever see a politician that's definitely gonna lose, but they haven't conceded yet, so they just keep saying, like. Like, you, you're you obviously going to always advocate for your team no matter what, right? Even if you're obviously, you know, 10 spots out, you're always going to be like, I should be in. But I feel like somebody said the ACC was down this year, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, it is down. But, like, nobody kind of checked. So like, it, it actually wasn't down. It was just that Miami was good, and Wake Forest was good, and Duke was good, and UNC was up and down but was good. So, I think it was like some of those brand names were a little down. Like, Syracuse wasn't as good, and Virginia wasn't as good. So then they're like, the ACC is down, <laughs> but it's like, no, it's not. It's like, it's really
1: good. And Louisville wasn't as good. And Florida State had a lot of injuries. Uh, and those are kind of like the, the teams in like the past like four or five years that have been historically really, really good. Yeah, It just happened to have, happen. like this year that was like, oh, wow, there's some other teams in this conference that are better.
2: Yeah, I, I love Florida State every year and they really couldn't score this year. They, yeah. they just really struggle to score. And, you know, they're always a team where I'm like, once they get in the tournament, you take them to sweet 16 because uh, Leonard Hamilton only recruits tall guys. Like he has a height requirement on his team. If you It's six, five and above basically. And he usually has two, seven footers. So it was a but I, I always loved Florida state. And I was like, man, they really, they're having these halves where they have like 15 at the half, you know? So I was like, all right.
1: They've also got like a, yeah. They've got a lot of dudes on their team that need to put on some weight. There was a couple of guys who just just rail thin. And we're gonna get into Chet Holmgren a little bit later. Oh nice. Okay. Uh, in this interview, Dave knows this and I know this, but I want to like to explain to our listeners uh, the influence of Pete Carole and, and uh, the Princeton offense because his fingerprints are still on that on that team and he hasn't coached there since '97.
2: Yeah. So um, they don't. First of all, the current Princeton team does not run the Princeton offense at all. They, they fly up the court. They shoot a ton of threes. They score 80 points a game. They were 10th in the country in scoring. Mm-hmm. But if you watch um, San Francisco play, if you watch Richmond play, if you watch a lot of teams in the NBA play, uh, they run this Princeton offense that Picouril developed. And it was honestly like a, a way to play slow, but still score and get a good shot every time. So very early on, it was layups, threes. And you know when the when the three point line first came in in the early '90s or I think it was the '80s in at Princeton, they shot more threes than anybody else in the country because they were like, we have good shooters. This is worth more. Shoot more of them. It was very obvious. But you know now it, it took until about five ten years ago in the NBA for that to trickle down. But basically, you know, he coached John Thompson the third. Um, he coached with Bill Carmody, who ended up being the Northwestern coach. Um, you know, Chris Mooney played at Princeton is, is the Richmond coach currently Mm -hmm. forgetting a lot here, but, uh, there's, there's a million coaches that coach currently Brian Earl at Cornell, Mitch Henderson at Princeton, um, who played for Kirill. And then when you put in the guys who played for the guys who played for Kirill, then it's like even more around the country. And then there's the guys like Herb Sendek, who they run Princeton offense and they've made an entire career off it. Uh, and they weren't really Princeton guys. They just like the offense. And um, you know those NC State teams in the in the early 2000s were really good. And they ran Princeton. I mean, is that a is that a good answer? I don't know what to like. Get uh, no, I think it's a great answer. But um, it's a lot of dribbling at guys, handed off, a lot mm-hmm. of drift screens. So you're running away from the basket, and a lot of backdoor cuts. So you know every everybody plays in the style that can dribble, pass, and shoot. They don't have you don't have big guys that just like exclusively post up and, and aren't able to dribble or pass
0: to your point like the NBA has a i mean almost everybody in the NBA plays that way now i mean it's so much so that like if anybody hits a fucking mid-range jumper they're like the mid-range jumper's coming back you know like like yeah. uh you know because yeah layups and threes is really like the way that the game kind of morphed into how you score you know and ball movement and like like you said dribbling and running away from the basket like to to open up lanes and and uh open up shots
2: yeah and having like really good spacing and when you you know, when you have NBA guys like like we ran it when I was in school, you're going to run it like one, two, three times before you do anything because you're like waiting for a perfect opportunity. But, you know, if you're like the Sacramento Kings, you run it once and pages three, is wide open, he shoots it, you know, so um, it doesn't have to be a slow offense, but it can be. And it can actually be a really good driving offense if you know how to do it. Um, you know, now negative recruiting has gotten out there and been like, oh, we're they're going to run that Princeton shit. You're going to play super slow. Uh, which isn't necessarily true but um, you know another thing is you can watch basketball and be like oh that's Princeton elements but like sometimes you're like okay not every handoff between two players is like a Princeton offense it's like you know yeah. you're <laughs> you know what I'm saying so it can be like overrated and underrated at the same time
1: we're lucky to have you because I was like in between the first and the second week of the tournament the uh, what were your early takeaways from these past weekends of games
2: well, I wish I listened to myself because going into the tournament, I, I'm always like, okay, the big 10 is always overrated going into the tournament. The PAC 12 is underrated. And I had a feeling about Kentucky that they didn't have enough shooting and that they didn't have enough chemistry. And even though they had Kellen Grady's great shooter transfer from Davidson and they had Oscar Shibwe who's player of the year, probably. Um, I thought some of those other guys couldn't, couldn't shoot and couldn't score and, you know my overall thesis in picking a bracket is you want a team that plays free and loose and can really score because when you're the underdog, you're like screw it and you're firing up threes like Florida Gulf Coast right when they when they beat Georgetown they're just throwing alley oops or gunning threes, but when you are the favorite and you can't really score, you get really tight and it's and it's tough to come back and like that's what I think you see out of uh, Wisconsin out of some of the other. Big 10 teams who lost Ohio State. But I wish I would seen St. Peter's coming because I covered them this year. I had them against Fairfield. Uh, Casey Nadefo is really good. Both the Dramay twins are really good. They're 6'7". They're identical twins. And, uh, you know, the kid, Doug Eddard, is, is like one of the best shooters in the country. So, you know, have you guys been to St. Peter's?
1: No, it's in Jersey City, right?
2: Yeah, so I don't want to hate on them, but it's not the best facilities. It is not the best area. Um, And Shaheen Holloway does a hell of a job to get players in there. And then he coached them really hard. Like he didn't even let them celebrate when they beat Kentucky. He's like, get in line. And uh, I started crying when they won that game because like Kentucky has more money given to one player for NIL contracts than St. Peter's has in their whole budget. So for kids who like, don't, Get a lot of recognition ever that's why they're at St. Peter's so, but they go I want to play D1 I want to play in the Mac great um to beat a bunch of guys who I really for some reason I really didn't like that Kentucky team this year um more so than any other one and done team because I felt like some guys on that team are super overrated versus you know some of the one and done teams in the past with you know Carl Anthony Towns or even like going back to Brandon Knight or Boogie Cousins like I don't know if these guys were that good and they're walking around and they're driving Porsches around campus. And it's like, good, good for St. Peter's that they want. So that was, that was my first takeaway. And the second takeaway was that the, the, the ball, the Wilson ball, there's something strange about the Wilson ball. Okay. A lot of missed layups, a lot of balls that are shot from three that bounce over the backboard. And uh I really thought that that was bizarre. I saw a lot of balls like doing weird things. I don't know if you guys saw that, I mean, there were a lot of missed shots
0: and a lot of missed bunnies, too. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm going to take a closer look at the way the ball bounces after you mentioned that, because yeah. like I was like, I haven't watched a ton of college basketball this season yeah. until the conference tournaments, of course. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was like, who the fuck scores? Who the yeah. fuck scores in college? Because yeah, so many games have been. Take the under on every game.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, especially first half unders were hitting big time. It was like there were a lot of obvious ones. And, uh, you know, that Auburn game was brutal, especially Walker Kessler was over seven on, on layups. He's seven foot three. Uh, I mean, it was, so there's a lot of games where you're like, man, nobody can score. Uh, but I thought the ACC was underrated. I did get it right with UNC. I have them going a long way. Um, SEC, I thought I overrated. I thought Tennessee was going to go a long way. And I was surprised that, you know, they lost already. But uh, overall, it's been fun. And the, the third thing I noticed is, is being an ESPN guy, um, all all the shots on CBS when you watch a game are super slow mo reaction shots. Every game, it's like like going <laughs> a break, you know what I mean? It's sort of like yeah. a guy's yeah. jaw like jiggling for three seconds. Yeah. And and I I honestly feel like I'm watching a different sport than I watch all year long on ESPN because I'm like it's very like it's very produced and it's very packaged and have you guys ever been to the tournament i have not no so i've been once and it's weird it's not like like the nit feels like college basketball because it's you know home it's neutral but it's at home sites and uh you know you go to the ncaa tournament it feels like like wrestlemania or like a concert it's like you know, you can't bring that water on the court, sir. Like you got to put it in a power aid cup. Like every inch of that arena is, is sponsored is overproduced. It is, it's for the product, you know what I mean? And, and it's very, you feel the marketedness of it. And I think even the players, like they'll win a huge game. And then once all the media comes out and, you know, but at the arena, you're like, this doesn't really feel like college basketball. You know, it feels like this other like like afterlife of college basketball or something. But, uh, you know, I I just feel like the way they produce the game is particularly um, a CBS style and it just makes it feel different for me. I'm not saying I like hate on it. And I absolutely love Charles Barkley on the air, no matter what he's doing. So he's done a great job. And there's like five desks, which I like Ooh. too. You know what I mean? Like there's so many <laughs> desks. There's like 45 people talking.
0: I feel you on like the overproducedness, And I, I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, whenever you're college basketball is such a, big, uh, a heightened example of that, because exactly what you were saying, how, you know, the teams with very little have like next to nothing. And the teams with a lot have everything. And how like, Uh, to me there's so many more tv fucking timeouts so many
2: tv timeouts like yeah and the length of them is also um it's probably longer i'm not sure um so first of all like this is true of me as a player and also as a broadcaster but i don't really care about most things like i'm pretty like locked into what i have to do i'm not aware of like i'm just not aware you know what i'm saying i didn't know how many timeouts were in a game as a player i didn't care i'm not calling timeout i was never gonna call timeout (laughs) like you know what I mean? That's not on my mind. I'm trying to make shots. So sometimes I'll work with a producer and they'll be like, ah, we got three floaters and we're doing, uh, you know, six promos and, you know, the, the breaks are 2.30. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll just wait till the TV comes and I'll talk again. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not sitting there being like, fuck, 2.30, yeah. you know? But it, it impacts them because they have less time or more time to make a package of highlights or to make a, a graphic or something. So, and I appreciate them telling me but what i'm saying is i don't i don't know but i'm sure in the arena the players feel that that the uh the timeouts a little longer it's got it just it adds to the weirdness of the thing like like when you play in the super bowl and half time's longer and there's like smoke and like you know confetti on the field you know it, all that is distractions so you know to get back to st. peters i love how he he's coaching his team hard as hell even in the tournament he's going that's all distractions and like 10 years from now, they're going to appreciate that he was like, get the fucking line and shake hands. It's like, don't be so, yeah. you know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was awesome. I want you to put on your, your GM cap for a second. Now we, of course, we, we lost Jabari Smith. Uh, he didn't play well, but uh, Auburn had a lot of problems, even to, to leaving the SEC tournament. I thought they were a little bit messy and I don't like their guards. They have irrational confidence. I think their guards and Jabari is clearly the best player of the team. But uh, I want you to put your GM cap is like a, coming up in NBA draft because it's going to be a pretty deep NBA draft. Um, uh, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, or Paolo Benchero. Who would you start your team with or somebody off the board that I didn't mention?
2: Oh man. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to sound like a complete jerk here um, because I don't love. I, I don't love Jabari Smith right now after what I've seen in the last couple uh because I know everybody goes, all right, he's 6'10", he can really shoot it. But I don't see a lot of ball handling for him. I don't see a lot of, like, like Durant in college was already doing all the stuff he does now. And he led the country in rebounding. So when you see Jabari Smith and you go, he's 6'10", he can shoot. He's like a Durant possibility. I just don't see, like, the fluidity. I don't see a lot of it. So um, I love Walker Kessler as a, as a very high pick probably is a mm-hmm. higher pick than than a lot of people because I think, you know, what you're gonna get you know, the over six notwithstanding. I probably like Ben Carroll out of those three, the best. Um, Chet Holmgren always puts up these monster lines. And he reminds me a little bit of, uh, of Joe Kim Noah, who would, I would watch him and by the by the test, and I played against him in high school and my really good friend played with him in or played with him in high school. I'd watch him and i go, man, the guy shoots a sidewinder, 14 footer. He, you know, he can't shoot. He's whatever. And then you look at the stat sheet and it's like, he had 30, 15 and 11 blocks. And, and the stat line that um, Chet Holmgren are putting up makes me say, you got to take, you have to take, you have to take a chance. He's really fucking skinny, man. So <laughs> like, skinny. He's so skinny. He, he, he's, he's skinnier than Durant was at that age he's about the skinniest guy I've ever seen be good. You know, he's like a, a Sean Bradley comes to mind. Like he is that skinny. He can shoot it. I think that's been a little, you know, that can get overrated a little bit when you're seven, two, they go, Oh my God, he made a three. Like that's yeah, wild. He shoots 30% like, Oh my God. Cause he's right. seven feet. I know like, exactly. So I'm not like fully sold on any of those guys. I really like Jaden Ivy uh, from Purdue. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's wildly athletic and like, there's not a lot of room in the college level. And he still, he, he blows by his guy and it's like his whole entire body is around his guy, his chest, his shoulders. He's not like, you know, a quarter step on him and make a layup. He's completely by his guy in a very tight court. And I played it. I played an NBA courts where we do the NBA line and NBA players. And even a slow MF like me, you can get around guys because there's so much room. So a guy like that, I go, he's six four, maybe six five, but he's like a super athlete. I like him. I like I like Jaden Ivey, probably the best out of this group. Um, maybe maybe Keegan Murray's in that conversation too. But uh, I'm pretty low on Jabari Smith coming out of this tournament um, because his his level of being able to create isn't that good, and his level of shooting on the move isn't that
1: good. Or maybe I'm being a hater. No no no. I mean like. <laughs> Uh, my, my concern with Chet Holmgren is like, I went to Memphis and I watched every minute of that Memphis game. And it like, he definitely needs to put on weight, but I'm not really sure where it would go because his frame yeah. and his shoulders are also very small.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he has the frame either to put on a lot of muscle. He, like, I feel like he has no middle ground. He's either going to be a complete bust because the expectations <laughs> are so high or he is yeah. going to be a star. Um, but like,
2: Well, like what's his what's his uh, ceiling? Uh, Porzingis?
0: I guess so. That's who I was going to say. I guess so. And like, has Porzingis even reached the ceiling that he had when he, you know, after his first year? No. I mean, mean. mostly because he's not healthy, but like also like if you're if you're seven feet tall and you weigh 130 pounds, can you stay healthy? Can you stay healthy? Like, I don't know.
2: Yeah. And like, is, are you going to draft the guy where you go best case scenario? He's Porzingis. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you love Porzingis that much, get Porzingis because he's already out there and nobody's particularly in love with him. Yeah. So, um, you know, the guy I really can't figure out. And I, start, I started to do this to you, George, but uh, the Jalen Duran. I'm like, guys like that grow on trees in the NBA. I really don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, am I crazy? I'm like, he's really strong. He can really jump. That's it. Like, that. you know, like, his, what's his, his upside is Dwight Howard, and it's, like, not even close. Like, he's not even going to – I don't think he's even nearly that good. Am I crazy?
1: No, no, no. I, he was a, a bit of a disappointment this season. I, granted, they played better as the season went on. The last, like, 14 games, he was averaging, like, 16 points and, like, eight rebounds. But I'm not sure if I see it as well. I did like the fact that he fought. But he was getting – Drew Timmy was teaching a master's class on – Uh, low post moves and he was just going for all of the fakes all the drop steps uh yeah drew timmy drew
2: timmy Timmy can be a good pro he could be yeah like why can't he be kevin love and i hate i hate only comparing white guys to white guys it's something i don't do very often
1: just about to say the exact same thing yeah
2: but like he kills guys and it's like how many times does he have to kill everybody before we go oh he's actually good but like i
1: don't know what he was doing in that second half, I'm going to go even further back, is, like, uh, it felt like the second coming. Again, we're going to compare a white guy to white guy to Kevin McHale. Just he was doing all of the moves, and they just could not stop it. I think he scored 18 in the second half.
2: Yeah, and like, both hands.
1: Very much in that game.
2: Yeah, in both hands. And he's and he's probably bigger than people realize. He's probably legit 6'10". And he's – you know, when he gets a drop-off, he dunks it. Like, he's reasonably athletic. I just think, like, it, it's tough, too, because you, you could go – luke harangote like he was the Big East player of the year and couldn't stick in the nba so you do have to look at the tools as well as the production but sometimes i'm like all right guy's been good for four years guy's been killing all college basketball for four years. you got to give him a chance i think
0: well he's like the opposite of of uh Homegrin. you know what i mean Holmgren has yeah. all the polish as far as the game goes like he can he's a seven footer who can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can, he, he's a fucking whirling dervish. You see him do spin moves from the three point line and end up at the, at the rim in two, two strides. And, and, but so everybody falls in love with that. But, but uh, Timmy is just like low on the blocks doing the dirty work. And, but he's, he's smart and he plays, he plays smart. So you could see a guy like that having success in the pros.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And I'll give you two other names that I really like. Um, Michael Weathers and Marcus Weathers, who play at SMU. They are crazy, crazy, stupid athletes, like stupid, like fast, long. Dunk it like with their face at the rim. And they're they're a little uh, they bounce around a little bit, but I think they're super under the radar. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of those guys ends up being really, really good. They're they're fraternal twins. One plays four and one plays shooting guard. Um, But especially Michael Weathers, who's the shooting guard. The guy just gets a million steals. He's super fast. And again, like when the court opens up, all that shit shows up more. Like athleticism matters even more because there's no help. You can't help in the NBA. Everybody can shoot it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to uh, backtrack a little bit on like some of the things we're talking about, about the differences between, you know, playing or just being at a Duke versus like, a Princeton, what was, sure. what was playing basketball for an Ivy league school? Like, like, did, did people, you know, cause at a Duke, you're, you're like a celebrity on campus and at, at yeah. a Princeton, like, do people even care? Do people know?
2: No. Well, one time our coach goes, you know, Princeton basketball is a huge deal everywhere except for on this campus. <laughs> and, and it's, it's kind of true. Like Prince is a famous program. So when we travel, they go, Oh man, you play for Princeton. That's crazy. Um, you know, we had fans come to our games uh from the town but like the students didn't particularly care and i remember as a freshman you know i scored 16 points we beat Rutgers, big east team okay when we had a big win in high school like the whole next day was great because every kid every teacher everybody like it was like friday night lights like you're just the man so i go into my class and i'm like expecting like some kind of love and just nothing and it was like okay we're at princeton like every Princeton student is like an individual like brand, like they're there to do homework. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like they want to do work and all that kind of like, you know, there's a, um, a currency of busyness. Like they're like, we're so busy, dude. Oh, I'm so busy. So, so much work to do. And they just say work. It's like they're training to be investment bankers, like, like just being busy. And um, but the other athletes get it you know, the other athletes end up being your, your great friends. And, you know, some, you're friends with people who are not athletes too, but you know, you get there on campus and you have this orientation that's for the students at large. And it's like, we have all these clubs and we have all this cool stuff you can do and you can get all this. And then two days later, your individual workouts start and you realize like, that's all a fantasy. I'm all, I'm going to be living at the gym, you know? So it's, it's much harder to be a Princeton athlete than it is to be a Princeton student at large. It's it's basically a, a country club experience. If you are just a student at large, because I couldn't believe how much time I had my senior spring once, once basketball ended, it was like, wow, this is like, this is a long day when you're not, uh, you know, lifting at seven 30, go to class all day, back down to the gym at three, you know, you're getting out of the gym at eight. So, you know, it's a lot of time, but uh, it was great experience and uh, you know, incredibly lucky to play there. I played a lot. I got a lot of playing time. I I didn't win that much but, uh, we went through a couple of coaching changes and, um, you know, that being said, like, if you play at Duke, you play at UNC, you're a lot, you know, you fly charters. Number one, you fly, uh, you eat, you eat really well every meal you get a stipend. Um, you're on scholarship. You know, we weren't on scholarship. We got, we got admission. And then I I graduated with a huge amount of student loans. Um, you know, so it's a lot of differences, but, uh, You know at age 36 like the princeton degree matters more and more like the further out i am so i think it's a good deal you know you come here you play basketball you get a princeton degree i think it's a pretty pretty great
1: deal you were there like post thompson because i think thompson takes the uh the georgetown job in like 2005 is that sound about right
2: yeah so he recruited me and then that summer he called me at 7 a.m and was like i got the georgetown job um And I was like, okay, like waiting for him to be like, and I'm taking you with me. And he's just like, anyway, uh, see you later. (laughs) So uh, then I played with this other guy, Joe Scott. And then I played um, for Sidney Johnson, who ended up being, you know, he was the coach of the team that lost by two to Kentucky and then went to Fairfield that off season. Um, So, yeah, it was, but that's a bizarre thing too, because I spent, you know, three years of my life being recruited. I commit to this guy and then he leaves. So it's like. I spent like, you know, millions of of hours playing in AAU, playing in camps, talking to coaches on the phone, like boiling down a decision, and then it's like, anyway, I'm going to leave. So it's kind of funny because it's like, well, fuck it. It's still basketball. So you just go ahead and play and, you know, but it's like some of those conversations I'm like, I don't know. Like, like not with him. I'm talking about with the other coaches where I'm thinking about the campus and then this. it's like, you might show up, it might be totally different than than the conversation you had anyway. So it's like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, and that speaks to what you were talking about earlier of just like, you know, the differences between a Georgetown and a Princeton of like, the coaches have mobility, you know? So of course they're going to yeah. take the the jobs that they get offered where the money is a lot more and like the, yeah. the profile is a lot higher, you know, but it, it really sucks for those players who made their decision based on the coach, basically, you know?
2: Yeah, well, also like there's so many styles of recruiting, and it's really weird when this coach basically, like, you know, they put you on the video board, they give you a jersey, a photo shoot, you have a, a steak dinner, we we love your game, da-da-da. And that's what that's like the the basics. There, there's other stuff that goes on that's like beyond what I got. And then you get on campus, and then the coach is like, you motherfucker, you're a piece of shit. And like it's such a like, why not just be like, even keel be like, look, we like you. And that's actually how John Thompson recruited me. He's like, we like you, we want you to come to Princeton. You got to become a better shooter. You, you you're you a good high school shooter, but at college, you got to be a better shooter. Like you're and like, it was all like one sentence. And he's like, you probably didn't expect me to say all that. I was like, no, I liked it. It was like, good. It was, it was honest. You know, it was like, you want to play, you got to like be a great shooter. You can't be this like good high school shooter. Like, you know, so it's a lot of, uh, it's just like a lot of bullshit involved in the recruiting process. And it's probably worse now than it's ever been because now you got name image likeness. So you're talking about legit money. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. If you're the right player, or the right quarterback. And then you're talking about like social media, all the BS that goes on with that, all the, are you doing it for the likes? Like beneath all those layers, like you actually have to play basketball. And when I talk to kids about making this decision, I'm like, it's about playing time. And uh, well, I say education first, but I don't really believe that because I, <laughs> I just go like, you know, you're going to get a good education, if you go to college, any of these places, but then it's about playing time. And then it's about, if you like the coach, because you can't fathom what it's like to be the star in high school and get to college and not play. It sucks. So a lot of kids are like, Oh, I'm going to go to, you know boom this this school it's in the the ACC blah, blah blah you'd be happier going to the A10 or going to another school you know in the conference where you're going to play because you actually like to play basketball you don't like to sit and watch basketball
0: we're still in kind of the early stages of like NIL and and uh those kind of ramifications but do you personally do you think it's going to level the playing field uh, a little bit more
2: as far as like um, I ones? don't think no, I don't think it does anything. I think it keeps the playing field where it is. It just makes it more um, above board. You know, it's it's a lot like legalized sports gambling. Like, you know, you used to be able to text your bookie and you put in the screenshot of the, of the line and now you go, I'm going to just go to DraftKings and it's on my phone and nothing changed. Um, it's like legalized weed. Did a bunch of people start smoking weed because it got legal? Like, damn, I wanted to smoke weed, but I just didn't do it. No. You know like, it's just like I was waiting for it to be legal. Yeah. So it's just like different
0: people making money, you know, who probably who shouldn't be making the fucking money off of it anyway.
2: Once it goes right, exactly it goes like right. So you you know you go if you, I like weed, well now I'm, I'm gonna keep smoking it. If I never smoked it anyway, I probably won't start, you know, and it's not like you know schools in the Mac. It's not like St. Peter's was hitting people up with huge NIL contracts you know, their NIL is probably zero. I don't know. Maybe there's a Honda dealership that's paying guys a hundred bucks or a t-shirt thing or an Instagram thing. Who knows? But like, if you're going to Kentucky or you're going to these places, you're getting a bag of, of money and you might have to do a, com- like I saw a guy from GW and he was doing a Honda commercial and it was like the local guy. and who knows. So who knows how much he got for that? But I think it's the, like, it was most important for the guys like Baker Mayfield or uh or durant or you know guys who are national story or, or zion is the best example he was the story in college basketball when he's in school like he of course he should have got a nike deal he was already a pro athlete at that point for noah savage you know would i have gotten like a free sandwich from hoagie haven in my day like maybe i hope so yeah i wasn't getting a call from nike yeah. like
0: yeah. When those you know guys I mean? are getting money anyway, they're like, they were getting money anyway, but they were doing it, you know, like you said, not above board and then getting punished for it.
2: Exactly. And it's like, I don't have a problem that basketball players and football players were getting money. <laughs> the problem was we supposedly all agreed we're not going to pay these guys. Right. So then you're paying them and I'm not, now that's unfair to the competition. So now if it's all above board, you go, shit, how do you win at this school? We got to find an alum who's willing to pay some money or, or a company that's willing to do something where they, they can use this guy's image. But like the, the, whole, the whole idea of amateurism is like completely insane. And uh, it's really a bizarre concept, right? It's like, um, it's like you go to stand up and then the club owner goes, we're not allowed to pay you because we all decided we can't pay you. All the club owners, but everybody's here to see you but we can't pay you. And you go, well, why not? We go, well, if we pay you, we're going to have to kick you out of stand-up. It makes no sense. There's no other place where the product is just free, right? It's like, we don't pay the actors. We pay the cameraman. We pay the director. We're not gonna pay Leonardo DiCaprio. And the guy's an amateur. He's yeah. like, why though? It never made sense. And the best, the best treatment of it was um, Crack Baby Basketball, South Park. It was fantastic. It, it really nailed it.
1: Well, no, that's a good place to, to to sort of get into our game. Now, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Here at the Know Your Rules podcast, what we do is we take uh, two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other and we try to make connections to them. And for your episode, we're doing NBA players and Oscar movies. Uh, we each do five. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah. Dave will go second. And you, as our distinguished guest, is going to go third. Uh, my first NBA player is one of my favorite players in the NBA. I just love this, this stat line that he puts up. and I've been on record talking about how much I love Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, he's averaging 24 points this year. Uh, his three-point shooting is not great, but it still can get some work. He's only 23 years old. I love the fact that he, gets, that he averages getting to the free throw line seven times a game. That's just, that's just phenomenal. So for me, the Oscar movie that I haven't compared to because he does so many great things well is Silence of the Lambs, which won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best actress. The big the big four there. So Shaky the Alexander is the silence of lambs of Oscar Brothers. Wow.
2: Hello, Clarice. Uh, listen, I have uh, we might have a we might have a, a, a parallel
1: when I go later. Right on. Right on. <laughs> That's awesome,
0: George. I, I feel like both both SGA and Silence of the Lambs are things that people know are really good, but they're still underrated. Um, mm-hmm. and, but my first one is a basketball player and a movie that I'm going to put in the category of a uh, stinker. <laughs> this is, this is my only one where, where I don't actually like either, either thing. And, and, mm. uh, it's, uh, in both cases, they're overrated and the basketball player player is Tyler Hansbrough. And I wanted to choose uh, a bunch of college players in, in honor of, uh, your, your appearance, Noah. Um, and Tyler Hansborough was one of those guys, played for North Carolina, uh, big beefy, beefy post player. But like we heard all this stuff about, you know, how he's gritty and uh determined and like, you know, a grinder and all these all this bullshit code uh code words. White. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he's corn fed, you know, like all this bullshit. Right. And uh, you know, he was a he was a lottery pick but but again he wasn't a top 5 pick i think he was like 11 or 12 so the nba kind of knew that he wasn't going to be a star and but but like the media didn't you know and he was he was billed as a star and he didn't last very long in the league he played i think about 5 years and that's why as an oscar movie he's driving mrs daisy a movie wow. that that won the fucking oscar over goodfellas and uh uh do the right thing and um <laughs> A movie that today is widely recognized as being bad, as being terrible. <laughs> um, uh, even the people that were in it, Morgan Freeman, talks shit about it. Uh, and again, just like the commentary about Tyler Hansborough, it's performative and overrated. And some people thought it was bad when it came out, but most didn't. So <laughs> Tyler Hansborough is the driving Miss Daisy.
2: I like what you did there. And I have a, a similar one, one that I don't like, but technically won the award. That's how I did this one. Um, and both of these are are very overrated to people who know them now. But in, in 10, 15 years, there's going to be a lot of discussion where they go, it was kind of garbage. And it's James Harden and uh, Shakespeare in Love. Because
1: <laughs> I don't think anybody
2: is like, yo, uh, Shakespeare, we got to put Shakespeare in Love on like come over, we'll watch it. They're like, it's on TV, you have to watch it. Um, I think it's like really unwatchable. And when I watch James Harden, I find him unwatchable because not only does he completely dominate the ball, he's a lazy son of a bee, and he, uh, he's just boring to watch, I think, the ball hog.
0: I'm, I'm with that. I would add the one caveat of James Harden in important games <laughs> uh, because when he right. plays the fucking Orlando magic on a Tuesday, he's going to have a 50 point triple double, but uh, right. you know, in the playoffs, he's going to fade away. And yeah, Shakespeare in love.
2: Well, I saw him, I saw him live against the Suns before he got traded and I was like, he's the laziest player I've ever seen, but he's such a good passer that I was like, he's going to get yeah. a triple double. He was walking around. He was walking through the game. And sure enough, I looked up. I was like, "That was the worst triple double I've ever seen." Like, it was just garbage. That's amazing, George.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not a triple double guy. People get, up, get get excited about that. I find that stat to be if what you do in the corner doesn't affect winning, then I don't really give a shit. Um, <laughs> so like my my next NBA player. So let me give you some of his stats. He is an eight-time NBA All Star, a five-time NBA First Teamer, a three-time NBA All Defenseman player of the year and I could give a shit because since 2016 he has been on the Hawks, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Lakers, the 76ers and the Lakers again I'm talking about Dwight Howard one of my least favorite basketball players of all time he's probably going to be an NBA, no doubt. NBA Hall of Famer uh, so for me this is my driving Miss Daisy because again I don't give a shit about that movie either as much as I don't give a shit about Dwight Howard so Dwight Howard is the driving Miss Daisy of Oscar winners. Uh I wow. think
2: <laughs> you're, you're making me want to watch that movie. I,
1: I don't know if I've even
2: seen it, and you guys both hate it so much. It makes you want to hate one. I mean, it. it's it's
0: mostly just because, like, you know, again, the Oscars, it's nonsense to, to put one one piece of work over the other, but like, how the fuck did that win? Like it 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 won. And right. like everyone today knows that it's not that good. Um, but uh, but anyway, my next one is a player that I love to watch and I went with a WNBA player this time. And that's Liz Cambage. Liz Cambage is awesome on a fucking basketball court. She is like, she can play in the low post. She's, she's a monster. She she'll dominate pretty much anyone they put against her, but she can also step out and shoot the three and her game is she's smooth. She hits fadeaway jumpers. She does like shoulder fakes. I mean, she, she's awesome. Um, and and like i said a, she's smooth and a joy to watch which is why but she's a beast which is why as a oscar film she's no country for old men which is brutal and violent but extremely uh, aesthetically pleasing and it mo- moves re- moves wow. really well so liz cam beige no country for old men
2: i've i've also seen her have a huge game i went to the westchester um well, I was a Liberty, but it was up in Westchester, and she had like 48. So I, I second that. Um, so here's where we got the parallel. Uh these two are very great, and I think I think they are starting to be known as the great as they are. But I have John Moran and Silence of the Lambs. Um, both anytime they're on TV, you want to watch. Um, I've been kind of obsessed with both of them for a while. Uh John Moran, I, I covered the OVC my first year in. At ESPN, and I was supposed to do a John Morant game, and then they kicked me off to put um, Seth Greenberg on it because he was blowing up. But I was talking about him every time I did a Belmont game. I was talking about Murray State every time I did a East Tennessee, you know, game. I was talking about Murray State. So John Morant and Silence of the Lambs. Which if Silence of the Lambs on TV, I'm watching the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I love Silence of the Lambs. It's uh, just the right amount of scary, but it is. It's a. It's a. I think it's a perfect movie. And end. Here,
1: end. here. I, I agree. Those are both both great. George. Uh, so my third one, we're going to talk about uh, LeBron a little bit because he's averaging thirty seven points per game this year in his nineteenth season. The Lakers are a bad, bad basketball team, um, uh, and whenever I watch him, I watch a lot of Lakers games because we're always on at night, and I usually get home a little bit later. Um, uh, I don't like what I'm seeing, but I enjoy it. So, so for me, he's like he's the Godfather two of Oscar winners. Like I've seen The Godfather 2 a lot of times, but now when I'm watching The Godfather, I'll just skip all of the, the, the Vito backstory and just watch all the Michael stuff, which is how I feel about LeBron James is like, I'll just like pretty much just watch the highlights and like enjoy it. But fundamentally, that is a bad, bad basketball team. So. <laughs> I, I would flip that because I,
0: I, uh, I want the De Niro stuff. I I want, and the re- the yeah. rest of it's like the like the Russell Westbrook's and the uh, Malik Monks.
1: <laughs> yeah, for me it's reversed because like uh, I like the De Niro stuff, but I mean, I like to see Michael become Michael. Fair He's enough, like fully formed Michael, and in, in yeah. Godfather Two. Yeah,
0: but that Lakers team is fucking awful to watch. Oh my god. Um. All right, my next one is, I'm going with a player that is known less for his on the court skills and more for the fact that he was just wild and out there. And that's Chris Anderson, of course, who was, you know, very flamboyant player. He had the Mohawk. He was completely fucking tatted up. He, he was kind of an energy guy off the bench. He played with LeBron of course on that Cavs team. Um, And like, was like a favorite. He was like one of those players that like you fucking hated if he was on an opposing team, but if he was on your team, you loved him. Um, similar to someone you mentioned earlier, Joe Noah, who I'm a Bulls fan. And when uh, he was drafted by the Bulls, I was like, this is the worst fucking draft pick I've ever seen. And then by year two, he was my favorite player. Um,
2: <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, Chris Anderson, as a movie, as an Oscar winner, I got to go. It's maybe low-hanging fruit, but I have to go with his, the movie that takes his nickname, which is Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance from a few years ago which is a great fucking movie and it's the same thing it's a wild ride and also because of the camera work um it's it i couldn't watch it it moves all over the fucking place
2: yeah i I couldn't watch it because of the camera work i was like i was getting motion sickness not
0: for everybody just like chris anderson
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) although i loved chris anderson although he had some weird stuff at the end there but uh all right, so mine is another one that I think at first you go, this is an all-time great, and then it kind of decays over time, and you go, this really isn't that good, and perhaps it's problematic. So I got Russell Westbrook and American Beauty, <clears throat> because what's the central story of American Beauty? It's Kevin Spacey, and it's, he basically wants to bang his daughter's uh, friend, who's like a junior in high school. And then, you know, it's like you're, you know, the first time we watched it, it was, like, yeah, we've all been there, you know, we can relate to that. And now, as a 36 year old, you go, that was pretty messed up there, you know. And uh, I think when you look at Russell Westbrook's career, you go, couldn't play with Durant, couldn't play over here, couldn't play over there. Maybe it's Westbrook. Okay, <laughs> problematic. He's an issue. Uh, and the other thing about him is that somehow there's been this propagation that he plays hard all the time, but. There's, there's a lot of video evidence that he doesn't play hard all the time, that he just kind of stands around. So that's my comparison. Awesome.
0: Yeah, American Beauty. <clears throat> that movie sucks. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah Westbrook's uh, fourth quarter defense is unwatchable.
0: I mean, he literally throws he, – he has a ridiculous comical air ball in like at least once a game now. I mean, it's like ridiculous. And then he'll have a triple-double.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: to your point about it not mattering George um, alright you're next
1: alright so my next one is uh, some stats are, are, are created equal um, Julius Randall in 2021 uh, was averaging 24 points in 2022 his points are down his attempts are down his three-point percentage is way way down he's basically a number two dressed up to be number one and i think he's just going to keep going down as long as he's like supposed to be the star and this is where i put my american video because i just like what you said no it hasn't aged well and uh Julius randall's game has not aged well either so that's where i put my american video for me is Randle. randall uh, yeah
2: huh. yeah and a uh, kind of a uh, contract year all-star right mm-hmm. he, he got his trainer up he got his and it was like, what did he do well last year that he never did the rest of his career? Is that he just made shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, it seemed like he lived in the gym. He was on a mission to make shots. And now it's just kind of like, all right, he's he's reverted to his his mean of mm-hmm. shooting percentage. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of turnovers, a lot of sloppy play. <laughs> um, all right. My next one is a player that, I absolutely love, and he's definitely someone that we think of as being a great player, but he had a lot of famous um, misses, basically, and uh, it took him a long time, and finally he succeeded to get in the Hall of Fame, and that's Chris Webber. Chris Webber, of course, you know, going back to the college game, we're all going to remember forever the timeout that he called in the Michigan game, that team that was so uh, highly rated and, and should have won and didn't. And, and uh, excuse me, that that followed Chris Webber. And then he played for, for Sacramento, who was probably one of the best teams in the past 30 years to never win. And they probably should have won one. I mean, if you ask me, they definitely should have won with that fucking Lakers series. That was bullshit um, with those terrible calls. Uh, and. Again, he's somebody that it took him eight years to get into the Hall of Fame. Chris Webber was as good as anyone playing the game of basketball while he played. I I truly believe that. He was a joy to watch. He also was somebody who his game would translate extremely well to today's game, um, which is why as an Oscar movie, he is a movie that was in a very uh, celebrated director's catalog, but it took this guy a long time to win the Oscar, which is The Departed from Martin Scorsese. Um, maybe not his best movie mm, ever, but yes. maybe my favorite of his movies because it's so unbelievably watchable. That's a movie I can literally watch every day. And I I love to watch Chris Webber play basketball. Also love Chris Webber on the commentary. I think he does a great job.
2: Wow. Um I'm not going to comment on that part, but I, I, gonna... <laughs> fair enough.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack here and, uh, I could not have disagreed. So here's my, I was like, wow, I'm not Here's <laughs> my commentary
2: note to Chris Webber and I would, I would tell this right to him because I'm, I'm a, I, I owned two Chris Webber jerseys. Okay. I had four basketball jerseys, two were Chris Webber. I loved Chris Webber on the Kings. He doesn't take a stance sometimes with his commentary. He goes, that was a bad turnover. On the other hand, you got to understand why he threw it. He he doesn't want to make anybody mad. That's what (laughs) I think. He's a nice person. Fair enough. And I would say, listen, Chris, it's okay. We know you know all these guys, but like, you know, you can be like, that was a bad pass. But he's a very charismatic, great looking guy. And uh, I'm a huge fan of him as a player. I'm going to stay right with the departed because you brought it up. So my departed comparison is uh, Clay Thompson. Because I think that everybody knows he's great but I don't think anybody's real. Like, I don't think a lot of people realize The departed one best picture. I think they're like, this is like a movie bros have in their DVD stack. And you know, it's a good movie, but uh, it's a great movie. And Clay Thompson is a guy who's a great player. He's an all time great, but he's just a little overshadowed, you know, by Steph, but he's another guy where I'm like, every time it's on TV, I want to watch it just like the departed.
0: Totally. George, why don't you uh, round it out?
1: You know, I feel like we've, 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 we there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of heads in here who are thinking the exact same way. Uh, my last movie is as a part of as well. And I'm going to talk about my favorite player in the NBA, which is Chris Paul. Uh, I love Chris Paul. I hope he gets it done just like Martin Scorsese and that Oscar that he got it done. So I'm hoping this year he gets it done for me, Chris Paul is a part of it. some Chris Paul. Awesome.
0: My last player and movie comparison are both things that Like there were, there were plenty of people who knew that both the director of the film and this basketball player were great and going to produce great results, but kind of only if you were paying attention, only in certain markets maybe. And the player is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is going to go down as one of the best, potentially one of the best players ever. Mm. He was the number five pick. He got traded for Trey Young, and there were people in that draft who were saying that he, he was the best player and, you know, not a lot cause he went five, but, but there were definitely pundits and analysts who were saying he's the best player. And I would say that probably most of those people were people that watched him play in Europe. Um, and so they, they, they had a con and like, you know, the American fans, myself included, especially until the last few years have had a very specific image of like, what like European style basketball is without having watched a ton of it you know, because of the archetype of players that maybe came out, like you're talking about bigger shooters and they have a reputation for being soft, which is totally ridiculous. George and I've talked about that uh, many years, but even, you know, you watch the last dance and they talk about how Tony Kukoc is soft and you're like, he was dodging bombs going to the fucking stadium. How is he soft? Um, But again, it's like some of that coded stuff and like I said people that watched him already knew how great we were going to be he was going to be and that's why as a movie he's parasite parasite I think is going to go down as one of the best movies to win an Oscar potentially ever I think that movie's incredible I think it's a perfect movie Bong Joon-ho was somebody who was doing great great shit way before parasite but he didn't have a huge American audience um and yeah, I think, like I said, Luca and, and both Parasite, those are going to be even more highly regarded with time. So that's my last one.
2: I feel you on that. Um, I think Luca is regarded where he needs to be regarded right now. But uh, right now, my one beef with him is that he, he holds the ball too much, too. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, European hardened sometimes at his worst. So my final one is um, Devin Booker. And I I double-checked with this movie, did not win an Oscar, but I'm still going with it. Um, Blood Diamond, because it should have won an Oscar. It's a perfect movie. Um, And maybe I have a a better comparison, but uh, it's like, I don't know if Devin Booker is a draw right now. I don't know if you ever want to turn on and watch Devin Booker. Maybe not on the national stage. I feel like I do, but I still think he's getting there to be the guy who's like, oh my God, Devin Booker's on TV um similarly to i think people don't want to rewatch blood diamond because they go oh that's a lot of uh child soldiers and blood diamonds and ugly stuff but if you watch the movie it's fantastic it is a phenomenal movie um but i just don't know if you want to turn it on when you, you know when it's on tv so that's why it is devin booker a guy who's still becoming a superstar he's a star but he's still not a superstar i
0: am so with you on that on both respects i think blood diamond is a really great movie that not a lot of people talk about i i think it's really good the accent is a little rough sometimes but, oh really uh, i thought it was good got, but i don't know the capture like there's a couple of times where i i feel like he he misses it a little bit but that performance is great and i love that movie i i think it's I, like i said i think it's highly underrated Jaime hansu in that movie is fucking incredible oh
2: you know what won that year too the departed no crash which is also garbage
0: yes terrible fucking movie that's like the uh in the line of of driving mrs daisy and then you know green book of this performative bullshit that the academy (laughs) it's a response to the academy's failures of the past of like hey we have to support this movie because it makes us look better it's like (laughs) it doesn't actually make you look better and the movie sucks
2: well can i put one little button on this conversation here is that a lot of what we're talking about is the um Best movie of the year, right? The, the Academy has this idea, it has to be important. It's gotta be like this important movie, but it can just be the best movie, right? It could be Terminator 2, it could be Good Fellas, it could be um Home Alone, you know, like it, it should oh, be like the best movie. It shouldn't be oh, like, and it was about the rice. Oh, it's like, shut up. Yes. <laughs> you know? And
0: just because it's about something important doesn't mean it's good either, you know. Exactly, right? Some, it's some like um aren't that good?
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's like if yeah. it was about race relations or somebody with a disability or you know you go fine but like what was the best movie
0: yeah <laughs> agreed you know agreed. awesome man well thank you so much uh
1: that was that was great no before we let you go we'll plugs on the fourth though um
2: we can listen to my podcast the world according to Noah savage um you follow me on instagram yo it's the sav and uh That's about it. But the world according to no savage, I used to have guests on and now it's just me and Alyssa. So, uh, you know, she also says, I George, but, uh, you know, (laughs) just me and my wife now. (laughs) Oh, right on.
0: (laughs) What's the, uh, what's the next, next up for uh, calling games. You got another NIT game or.
2: No, I think that's it. So, um, you know, now I just wait till next year. I pretty much have a meeting hopefully and beg for more games. But, uh, if not, I just kind of get an email with all these games (laughs) in, uh, in the fall. So uh, good season and, you know, did a lot of a 10 So check me out next year, ESPN, you, little ESPN2 and ESPN Plus for all your college basketball needs.
0: Totally, man. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck uh, with next season and, and uh, all, the, all the stuff going on, man. All
2: right, David. All right, George. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. All right, we're back. Thank you so much to Noah Savage. Check him out at NoahSavage.com. Look for his Ivy League calls on ESPN2. And yeah, check him out. It was, uh, that was a great hang. And uh, yeah, I think the three of us could talk basketball for a long time. Mm -hmm. All right, now we're going to go ahead and get into last call where we talk about things we got going on and what we're looking forward to over the next week or so. George, what uh, what do you got?
1: Well, it's uh, I've got an interesting week ahead of me because aside from doing comedy shows, I'm going to be going to a couple of concerts. So on Thursday, I'll be singing Hot Water Music. And on Saturday, I'll be singing a band called Drug Church. So I guess indoors and concerts are happening again. I'm looking forward to that. What about you, Dave?
0: Cool. Um, I'm just looking forward to a couple of shows or like some some TV, some entertainment. Uh, one is Killing Eve season four just just dropped just came out it's the final season i think it's on amc plus i don't even know if i fucking have that but i think i do um and uh i love killing eve i think it's awesome Jody comer and sandra oh are fantastic and super fun to watch so yeah i'm looking forward to how they uh how they wrap that show up also, there's a trailer. I watched the teaser for it, but there's a, a full trailer coming out, like, I think the day before this our, this episode drops, um, but the new Alex Garland movie is coming out called Men. And of course, he is a very great writer. He wrote some novels. He also wrote 28 Days Later and Sunshine, the movie's directed by Danny Boyle. He, and then he started directing his own movies, which the first one of, was Ex Machina, which... It's very, very good. He also did Annihilation, which I think is an underrated movie. I like, uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and I'm really looking forward to his new one. It's called Men. It's with Jesse Buckley. It looks super mysterious and creepy and weird, which is like kind of his, his fucking go-to. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about that. It looks cool. And the only other thing is uh, there's a movie on, I believe it's on Netflix, um, called Windfall that I really want to check out. I'm really interested in it. It's Jesse Plemons and uh, Jason Siegel and Lily Collins. And like, Jason, it's a thriller. And Jason Siegel, or uh, Jason Siegel basically is like robbing these rich one percenters and and, like holding them hostage in like a funny games type uh, weird summer house uh, situation. So it looks looks cool. It looks interesting. I'm gonna give that a sniff. That's it for me. All right, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this show. I want to say thank you so much to George. Thank you to producer Mary Best. Thank you to all of you, our listeners. Thank you to Nate eighty eight, Alan Sack Kid, and Kazo Oslo for our theme song. Thank you to Amanda Zeller for our design. Everybody, please subscribe, rate, and review. Know your roles wherever you get your podcasts, and yeah everybody be safe and just be nice just be like a good person like don't don't uh don't be part of a mob that comes to bars and, mm-hmm.
1: and hassles people but well said dave consider any better see y'all next time <laughs> all
0: right We're out,